You're listening to the North American Francophone Podcast, hosted in English by Claire-Marie Brisson and proudly recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome to another episode of the North American Francophone Podcast. I'm your host, Claire-Marie Brisson, and I hope that you and all of your loved ones are managing the COVID-19 crisis as best as you can at this point. Due to all of the time we've been spending at home, many of my listeners have reached out to say that they'd love to have some interaction with North American Francophone literature. And since I have so many books to recommend, I didn't want to give too many suggestions in one episode, but rather I thought I would introduce the idea of movement in North American Francophone writing. I think that movement has been and continues to be a subject of interest for North American Francophone authors, whether they've been publishing in French or in English, the idea of going from one place to another or interacting with one's environment truly means that we, as North American Francophones, have a movable identity, one that is not fixed to geography in the same way as borders are fixed to geography, one that experiences geographies and the identity flows with those geographies. It's interesting to think about, but if you think of the writing of Jack Kerouac on the road, This is inherently a North American Francophone perspective. To be on the road, to move, to have interactions, and at the same time question your own identity, question where you came from, question everything that you essentially know is true about yourself, and yet continue to forge a path, continue to move forward, and to have revelatory experiences as you interact with new environments. That is in itself a movable identity, and reminds me a lot of Ernest Hemingway's writing in A Movable Feast. Ernest Hemingway didn't publish this book during his lifetime. In fact, it came out posthumously in 1964. And yet there's a quote in A Movable Feast at the beginning, I have the book with me right here, where he says how the interactions with the environment can change a person, but at the same time how you can imagine all of these different landscapes even when you're not in the right environment for them. So he writes, Maybe away from Paris I could write about Paris, as in Paris I could write about Michigan. I did not know it was too early for that because I did not know Paris well enough. But... That was how it worked out eventually. Anyway, we would go if my wife wanted to, and I finished the oysters and the wine and paid my score in the café and made it the shortest way back up the Montaigne saint Genevieve through the rain. That was now only local weather and not something that changed your life to the flat at the top of the hill. What I find so intriguing about that section specifically is he doesn't even geographically have to be in Michigan to know Michigan so well, and yet he's in a new environment. He's in Paris. He feels uncomfortable. He's an unknown person in Paris writing about a place that he knows, feeling more comfortable with one place rather than another, and yet the other place is providing a lot of insight to him, and he feels his identity moving and changing and growing. And I think that this is inherently the idea of what it means to be a North American Francophone, and specifically a North American Francophone author. And so in today's podcast, I want to talk a little bit about texts that speak of movement, and also texts that speak of this fluid identity, of an identity that doesn't really have a geographic place that we can find on a map, but an identity that bridges itself from the experiences that we have ourselves and from the experiences of the past that continue to inform the present, that continue to speak to the present of North American Francophone populations. 
And so as this podcast is in English, I will do my very best to relay the Francophone sources that I'm providing to you. But I also would recommend if you are learning French to push your knowledge of French into some higher level texts. I think that you can learn such beautiful vocabulary, but also have the experience of decoding a text, which is a really fun experience in translation. The first work that I'm going to share with you is actually a personal one. It's a poem that I wrote myself. I don't claim to be a good author, but I felt that the poem that I wrote speaks a lot to the North American Francophone experience and might be something that you would enjoy hearing before I introduce other authors. It also is something that pays tribute to the figure of the flâneur, who was a passionate wanderer and who is emblematic of 19th century French literary culture. The figure of the flâneur has always been essentially timeless. It's a person that goes through a street, can find meaning when they look at windows, they look at people walking on the street, that can get a sense of something more when they see things that are part of banality. And the poem that I'm about to share with you, I do hope resonates on another level, that during COVID-19 quarantine, we have all become flâneurs and flâneuses in our own sense. We've been strolling on the streets. We've not been able to go to shops or restaurants or bars that we enjoy. And it may sound petty to say that, but we've been removed from society in a way that the flaneur or flaneuse usually does themselves. And so hopefully that will speak to you all as well at another level. Without further ado, here's my poem, Identité Flaneuse. The flaneur, like the boulevardier, is an elegant stroller. Detached from society, yet a connoisseur of the urban landscape. And they think he is wasting time window shopping for meaning in a world that lives in absolutes, while he makes his home at the intersection of meaning. Et moi? Je suis flâneuse. My identity balances from geography to geography. My reality draws different borders around my lieu de mémoire, the places of memory that are dear to me are merely peripheral footnotes on the pages of time. In this shadow, where words intersect and entwine, where stories are hidden and the weight of the past emerges, en français, en anglais, and most powerful of all, where words had never run their course in ink, I find the greatest stories. Engraved in the minds of those whose geography always had a double consciousness, a topography of remembrance, known only to those who kept watch, du passé, du poids de l'histoire, de l'avenir. Thank you for listening to that poem. I think for me and for most authors, it's strange to hear your writing read. Even if it's by myself, it's very strange for me to hear it read, and I hope that you enjoyed it. The process of writing this poem and reading this poem to you also reminds me of how important movement, but orality in movement, is to North American Francophone populations. The act of moving alone is not enough. It's sharing that act of moving. It's sharing the experiences that the author experienced in moving and in reinterpreting the environments and the geographies around oneself. I think that that is just emblematic to North American Francophone writing. 
My mind is almost immediately taken to Jack Kerouac's writing style, but I'm not even going to talk about On the Road as a work. I'm thinking about On the Road as a piece of Franco-American literature. The fact is, it was written in pieces. It was constructed from his 1940s journals and eventually became his book that was published in 1957 that he wrote himself on a piece of teletype paper, a very long scroll. And he just continued writing. And that movement in writing is really emblematic to the movement that the Franco-American community wants to express. It wants to express the past movement that went across the Atlantic, but also future movements of reinterpreting those transits and understanding transits in the present. And it's for this reason that one of the books I would love to recommend to my listeners today that speaks to the theme of movement is a book by one of our listeners, Brad Cormier. He wrote a book called Rivière-Rance. It was published by Le Méac. Thank you again for having sent me a copy of your book. I actually read it once, and I'm rereading it again. Maybe fingers crossed in the future we could have Brad on the show, but no promises here. I don't want to pressure. But Brad has written a book that talks about a voyage that he did himself a couple of years ago, and he wanted to take a trip to really understand the routes that the French explorers and Canadian explorers had taken in North America, specifically thinking of the waterways that they took. So he has himself taken waterways from the basin of the Great Lakes all the way to the Mississippi, and... This has opened his eyes to the transits and to the stories that exist on terrain that we consider to be so innately connected to the United States, but whose stories have entrenched within them a North American Francophone voice. And I would like to read, as best as I can, a part of the book to you all in French and then give a synopsis in English of what he's written. It's an incredible story of how he transforms the Anglophone landscape into a remembrance of what had existed there before. And it's on page 74 of the book. It says, C'est la première fois que je parcours cette route. Le soleil plombe, les oiseaux torpillent. La rivière fait miroiter ses lames. Pour moi, à partir d'ici, c'est terra incognita. La route me part résolument en anglais. Almer, Breckenridge, Eardley, Beechgrove. Des vieux cantons anglais. Portage du fort, un petit hameau qui s'en détache, était un point géographique inscrit sur les cartes anciennes au temps de la Nouvelle-France. A quick synopsis of this section in English. One can imagine a journeyer coming to an area, seeing the sun setting, hearing the birds chirping, seeing a river, and then noticing that the different street signs are written resolutely in English, that they have names like Almer, Breckenridge, Erdley, Beech Grove, and yet... If you know the past history of the place, one would know that it was at one point Portage du Fort, and it was an important geographic point on old maps from the time of New France. And so there's a double history to this section, and that double history is examined in really beautiful detail in this book. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who's looking for a book that has historical elements, that speaks to modern discovery, that speaks to really the human condition. And it's truly a remarkable work. I, I very much appreciated reading it. 
And now the second time that I am rereading it again, I've been reminded of the importance of movement and the importance of understanding multiple identities that can exist as well. And that makes me turn to another work that's written by someone who's very famous. If you're already familiar with this author, you'll probably nod and say, oh yes, Dany Laferriere. Unfortunately for Dany Laferriere, he grew up and lived in Papa Doc's Haiti. And so he was working as a journalist in Papa Doc's Haiti. It was known to be one of the most repressive governments in the hemisphere. Uh, Papa Doc's government murdered and exiled its opponents, and the estimates are almost as high as 60,000 people who were murdered under that regime. So when a friend of Dany Laferriere, who was named Gasnard Raymond, was murdered by the paramilitary police known as the Tonton Makout, he realized that he probably wasn't safe anymore in Haiti, and he went to Canada. He left to Canada in 1976 for Montreal. It was easy as a francophone to exist in another francophone environment, and also it was a positive experience for him because he was getting away from such a terrible government. La Ferrière publishes his first book in 1985, but the book that I want to talk about is one that he published in 2009, and that is called L'Enigme du Retour. In English, it was translated as The Return, and that one was published in 2011. For me, this book is Dany Laferriere's best, and is also Dany Laferriere's heaviest topic. I think that it is such a heavy topic because there's such a level of autobiography in the way it is written. And what's interesting is that this book is written in verse. It's written as a poem, and yet it is also considered a novel. And there's some hybridity in that as well, in understanding place in question, understanding the text in question, understanding what it means to have a homeland, and having that in question as well. And the back of the book says, À la suite de cette annonce tragique, le narrateur décide de revenir dans son pays natal. Il en avait été exilé, comme son père, des années avant lui, par le dictateur du moment. From the dictator of the moment, he was exiled. And so there you can see that there really is an element of Dany Laferriere's own life in this work. And just to give you a small taste of the work itself, I want to read a very small excerpt from L'Enigme du Retour, where Dany Laferriere expresses how he feels in multiple places at once, how he understands geographies and past geographies that follow you. And I think that this does speak to the introduction I gave by Hemingway, and it also builds an intellectual bridge with the text of Brad Cormier, and a little bit of my own poem as well. I feel that when Dany Laferriere wrote this, he is textually but also visually layering his past in this book. And I think it's a very beautifully written section and also something that resonated a lot with me and also with these other texts. So without further ado, here's the excerpt. Je tourne au coin d'une rue de Montréal et sans transition, Je tombe dans Port-au-Prince, comme dans certains rêves d'adolescents, où l'on embrasse une fille différente de celle qu'on tient dans ses bras. I turned on a corner of a street in Montreal, and without even a transition, I fell in Port-au-Prince. Like in certain adolescent dreams, where one kisses a different girl than the one that we keep in his arms. 
That is very powerful. The idea that there is something there that isn't there, that there is a memory, a trace, a movement of thought that exists between two geographically disparate regions. And there's always desire for movement in all of these stories and in the folklore even of French Canada. The desire to understand geography and to move with geography and to be one with the geographies of North America is an important theme for all of the literature that I've encountered up to this point. And I wanted to highlight a special part of the culture of the literature and the stories of Quebec by reading a small excerpt of La Chasse Galerie, or The Flying Canoe. This is by far the most well-known piece of North American Francophone folklore and French-Canadian folklore in general. The one that I'm going to be reading to you was written by Honoré Beaugrand, and it appeared in an 1892 publication called The Century Illustrated Monthly. And it comes with a very beautiful picture of a flying canoe that was hand-drawn. I'll definitely be posting the image and the text to the social media of the North American Francophone podcast. But what is most interesting to me in this piece of folklore is the story of how the canoe flies. It's the imaginative aspect of movement in the North American Francophone literary world. And I thought I would read it to you because it is quite beautifully described. The last words were hardly pronounced when we felt the canoe rising in the air to a height of five or six hundred feet. I felt as light as a feather, and at Baptiste's command, we commenced paddling like sorcerers that we were. At the first stroke of the paddle, the canoe shot out like an arrow, and off we went under the protecting wing of Le Diable himself. It fairly took my breath away, and I could hear the bow of the canoe whizzing through the crisp air of the night. We went faster than the wind, and during the first fifteen minutes we sailed over the forest, without perceiving anything else than the dark heads of the great pines. It was a beautiful night, and a full moon lighted up the sky like the midday sun. It was terribly cold, though, and our mustaches were fairly frozen, while our bodies were all in a perspiration." We were paddling like demons at work in the lower regions. We soon perceived a bright, glistening belt of clear ice that shone like a mirror. That was the Gatineau River, and then the lights in the farmhouses, which were mostly lit up on New Year's Eve. We began passing the tin-covered steeples as quickly as telegraph poles fly past in a railway train, and the spires shone in the air like the bayonets of the soldiers drilling on the Champ de Mars in Montreal. On we went like tous les diables, passing over forests, rivers, towns, villages, and leaving behind us a trail of sparks. It was Baptiste Durand, the possédé, who steered the canoe because he knew the route, and we soon came to the Ottawa River, which we followed down to the Lac des Deux Montagnes. Look out there, said Baptiste. We will just skim over Montreal and frighten some of the fellows who may be out at this hour of the night. Joe, clear your whistle and get ready to sing your best canoe song. Cano de Corse, my boy. The excitement of the trip had braced me up, and I was ready for anything. Already we could see the lights of the great city, and, with an adroit stroke of his paddle, Baptiste brought us down on a level with the summit of the towers of Notre Dame. I cleared my throat and sang Cano de Corse, 
while my camarade joined heartily in the chorus. Mon père n'avait fille que moi, canot d'écorce qui va voler, et dessus la mer il m'envoie, canot d'écorce qui vole, qui vole, canot d'écorce qui va voler. I hope that in their own way, the excerpts that you experience today in the North American Francophone podcast will inspire you to read others and feel transported as they move you to understand the beauty of the North American Francophone authorial and oral tradition. I would be delighted to share other books on the North American Francophone podcast, either on our blog or on the podcast episodes themselves. And if you have any feedback, feel free to always contact on thefrancophone.com or by email at northamericanfrancophone at gmail.com. Until next time, I hope that you remain happy, healthy, and safe. And thank you once again for supporting the North American Francophone podcast.